G'day and welcome to Nutritious Conversations. I'm your host, Duncan McMartin. My intention is that these chats with my guests add as much richness to your life as they do mine. And you too can be inspired to indulge in nutritious conversations with friends, family, and complete strangers. Big love and enjoy. Good morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm absolutely amazing to, to be able to connect in with you. I've just sort of lost words this morning already, Nita. That's, that's a rarity for me. I've usually got so much to say. No, I'm absolutely stoked to be here and honoured and humbled. It's I'm usually the one trying to connect in with people and interview them. So to be on the other the receiving end is is. Uh, well, it's going to be a, a great experience. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to it because I stumbled across your podcast called Nutritious Conversations. And I love that name, by the way. And we'll dive into that in a minute. But I yeah. saw that you'd interviewed Lindley, who I met last year. And um, so I immediately listened and I absolutely loved what you're all about and the whole um, idea of your podcast. So we'll Definitely link to that at the end for listeners so they can go and find that. Beautiful. But as I've been listening to some of your episodes, I've noticed that you're also a bloke with, you know, a lot to say. There's a lot of pearls of wisdom that get dropped, uh, life experiences and reflections. Um, So, and these come through in your conversations, but obviously you're focused on the guest. And mm. I'm just catching these little snippets going, I want to know more about Duncan. <laughs> the, and the, so the, here we the anomaly are. that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, we've just connected this morning for the first time, really, apart from a few messages. And mm. just to let the listeners know, we've just identified that we grew up in the same small town in the Dandenongs of Victoria. Mm. Yeah, we- <laughs> We would have crossed paths. <laughs> Amazing. We were there in the 70s at the same time. Our fathers yeah. were both artists and we sort of went to the same primary schools and things like that. So that is just crazy in itself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, like you said, we, we were chatting uh, before we hit record or before you hit record. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just this middle of nowhere as far as the town and you mention it and no one knows where it is you have to go to Belgrave or something like that or or the Dandenongs and oh okay yeah I know where that is but to, to say little Upway <laughs> yeah the town is Upway by the way and hardly anyone's heard of it it was it's really it's a funny mm-hmm. little place so yeah, that, yeah. that was just crazy and when I got up this morning uh, I looked out the window and the first thing that I saw was a magpie, which is really strange in New Zealand because obviously they're an Australian native bird, not New Zealand, and we do get them, but mm-hmm. they're not common. And the first thing I saw was a magpie and then it sung its beautiful song and I thought, okay, here we are, connecting in <laughs> in spirit already. <laughs> do you know what's funny about this is my ringtone is a magpie warble. No way. Mm. Yeah, so. Uh, That's yeah. Nuts. <laughs> so we're we're about two hours difference, um, Australia, New Zealand, or where I am in Australia, and um, yeah, it's a 
4.30, I, I got up this morning, which is just beautiful. It's before the light's starting to crack, and there was a beautiful full moon there. And, yeah, so the, the warble of the magpie, I, I actually have always had that. So that's okay. We're well, that, that's in the actually, serendipity already. That's actually bonkers because I got up at 6.30, which was your 4.30, and then saw the magpie. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll stop. <laughs> Any more synchronicities going on? <laughs> Probably, but (laughs) so let's start with, um, I mean, obviously you're a morning person and, you know, it's early across the ditch, as we say, Aussies Mm. and Kiwis refer to the ocean between us. So you obviously love mornings. Do you have a routine or a ritual that you like to start the day with? Yeah, look, for me, it's it's sort of flowing through different... um, different modalities or different things that sort of get me to ground. Um, at the moment, it's very much a release writing and then then a releasing um, and then filling back up. So there's a, uh, a little sort of ceremonial sort of thing I'll do with myself and uh, working from the idea of finding ease and then really connecting in with myself. And sometimes that modality, uh, I'll connect in with the lads on as a men's group that I sort of connect in with on a Wednesday morning, do an ice bath and um, we'll kick off first doing some breath work. And that's fantastic. Um, so for me, it's, yeah, it could be a bit of breath work, a bit of Wim Hof right through to whatever modality I'm sort of feeling I need to utilize to just ground myself. And then some mornings it's, it's, it's nothing. It's just being present. But, um, a good bullet coffee is always good too to kick off with. <laughs> I love a bulletproof coffee as well. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it, I've, I've gone back to them just in recent times, which is lovely. So yeah, that's probably my practice in the morning. I, um, I had a um, a beautiful analogy uh, said to me one time, or I, or I read it somewhere, and it was about if you look at a musician rocking up to to play in an orchestra, for example. And they they they, keep, they walk in there. They don't just pull the instrument straight out of the case and just go straight into playing. They tune their instrument. And so finding a modality in the morning that you tune your, your instrument, which is your you, you, and connecting really into that soul space is imperative. Um, for me, I, I just find it's the foundation. And I think sometimes I, I used to meditate like an hour every single morning and it all... Then it actually, if I if I even thought about missing it, then the, the guilt would come in. I'm going, I'm actually coming from the right place for this. Is is this really what is really feeding my soul? And the answer was no. So it's like, well, what do you feel you need to do to connect in with with yourself to that innate space? And so yeah, so it's a bit of a sorry, a long way of answering your question there, but uh, tune my instrument by whatever means I feel I need in the morning. That is brilliant. I really love that story about, well, analogy with the instruments. It's one mm. I hadn't thought of, but it makes so much sense. You don't mm. go in cold and just start singing or start playing. Mm. There's always some kind of connection and warm-up. So I'm yeah, going yeah. to take that one myself. <laughs> There's no copyright on that. I don't even know where I got that one from, but that was somebody else's knowledge that's resonated. <laughs> oh, that's great. So tell us about your podcast, Nutritious Conversations, and 
in particular, why applying this word nutritious, which we normally think about in regards to food, Mm. um, but why is it so relevant in terms of conversation, like what we're talking about, who we're talking with, Mm. and the way that we're talking to to one another? Yeah, I was sitting down with a really, and thanks for the question, it's a, it's it's nutritious conversations has been been sort of sitting in the my language for probably a few years now and it was a beautiful conversation with a mate of mine who owns a a gym locally here and and we'll we'll, we'll, we'd catch up frequently and just chat about various things and every time we'd go away or every time and we'd sort of reconnect again it was just like geez that last chat we had was just so it just it just really filled me up I said, yeah, it's like it's like a nutritious conversation, isn't it? And he goes, oh, I love that. And, and so I think it was uh, the, the old saying when two minds are, are, are brought together from that space, the third mind's created, and I think that's what sort of came through as a nutritious conversation. And so him and I would, it's a bit like Australia and New Zealand talking about who invented the pavlova. We're trying to work out. <laughs> well, we <laughs> still, up with it first. <laughs> yeah, we still haven't nutted that one out. <laughs> I've probably just lost all the New Zealand listeners then. <laughs> I could see New Zealand did it. Um, but uh, <laughs> we might have done the meringue. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's, yeah, nutritious conversation. So why nutritious? So I found conversations i have with people you and this is sort of the litmus test for the each conversation i have it's a bit like we've gone to this metaphoric uh farmer's market and there's this beautiful seasonal produce there and we just walk through and we're just in that sort of space of gorgeous food and chatting with the farmers and hearing about their 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 story of how they just love the farm, they love the soil and they love what they're producing, the passion you sort of see in it. And so we pick a few little things along the way and then we, we go back to a kitchen and, and there's no sort of recipe that we're, we've, we've already locked in. It's just like, well, what do we got here and what can we create? And then we sit there and we're tasting along the way and we create this beautiful meal and then we sit down and share it with ourselves and, and the analogy and the, uh, the listeners. And at the end of it, you want to go, wow. I just felt like it felt like that was just this nutrient dense food. And so to me, I think nutrition is not what we put in our body from a food perspective. Nutrition is everything that feeds us. Mm. And, and that's where nutritious conversations came from. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Soul food, isn't it? To the ears. Yeah. 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 And that's the, that's the other premise of it as well. And the passion behind it. And I, and I, that's what I what I connected in when listening to your podcast and just hearing just your intro. I'm just like I think I wrote to you. I said I'm smiling in tears at the same time because it was just you hear somebody who really wants to bring forward the wisdom of that innate in each individual that bespoke beautiful thing that we all have. That, that just expressing that in a, in a in a format, and I love it. Absolutely love it. Oh, and thank you. So. You know, both of us are relatively new to podcasting. Mm. You haven't done it before, hey? No, no, I've been on a podcast before, but no. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, what made you decide to take this message to the world rather than keeping these conversations, you know, in your private circles? And did you have any hesitation in doing so? Was there any sort of um, 
holding back or questions, <laughs> imposter syndrome, anything of that? Or did you just feel confident straight away? Look, I've, yes and no. <laughs> no, I didn't feel confident straight away. I've had podcasts. I, I, I left an industry that I'd been in for 20 years and tried to have a voice within that environment to really bring forth a, what I would see, just trying to get humanity to move in a direction that is expanding rather than this contracting environment at times that we, we can be a witness to. And for me, it was, I, I, I remember sitting there, I, I resigned from this organisation, just no redundancy. I just, I just said, right, that's enough, and I've walked away. And I sort of sat there and I started going, well, what lights me up? And reading a bit of the Joseph Campbell stuff again, which resonated many years ago, which is, um, what's your bliss? And so I, I sat down and I just started writing some things out and I love conversations. I love conversations that are beyond the mundane. I mean, the mundane is okay every now and then if you want to switch your brain off, but, but to be able to actually really connect in with people and just go, wow, I love those sort of meaty conversations. I'm one when I look at a podcast, if I see one that only goes five or 10 minutes, I'm usually not that engaged. I want one that'll go for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Like, because it's, it's really sort of delving into, um, just something that, again, that feeds the soul. I think I'm going to probably be a bit, bit cliche with that. But, yeah, so I had <laughs> I was connected to this lovely, beautiful soul and, and she and, and she goes, I hope you don't mind me saying, she says, I'm, I'm clear audible and it just keeps coming through. You need to do a podcast. And what was funny, I actually had a piece of paper and podcast was right in the middle circle and I just held that up for her. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. And I, I went, okay, now it's time to have my voice and, it was what was fascinating. Another great friend of mine, um, Matt Omo, who's an amazing sound healer. And um, I went and did a sound, breathwork and sound with him. And I just, I, during the sound experience, and he's incredible if you haven't tapped into to Matt's work, I really encourage you. But I just, I just started sobbing through this. And, but what was, what precluded that or, or um, what was sitting behind that was that I, as I was releasing this sound, I could feel my throat was really tight and was like, oh, actually, I physically just sort of moving my hands around my neck like I was trying to pull something off. And then the tears of like, my voice has finally come out. I finally got my voice. Um, and that was quite, quite a profound experience. And this is all just before I launched. And so when I, I launched, it was launching with my voice. And yeah, so yeah, but it's just as you know, it's this learning curve of like, how the hell do I do this? And the beautiful Anil from the Wellness Couch, um, they they've yeah opened the door for me to come in on the Wellness Couch and and support this uh, getting the the this voice out there. <laughs> so yeah, so it's been a it's it's been yes and no. It's also like who the hell am I to say things, um, which we all have a tendency to do it's like i don't have a voice i don't have yeah i haven't had some sort of bizarre story where you know i've, I've fought three dragons and and i'm here to, to tell the tale I, i've lived a life and learn a lot along the way but as i as you start to go through and look at your life it was funny you say have you got a bio and i go oh geez i better write one <laughs> you know, <'cause, laughs> 
how do you capture how do you capture who you are in a moment and yeah it's uh it's it's interesting because i i've 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 had lost my mother i've been married three times i've been in financial hardship at one stage i've had health issues i've got all these stories but the stories aren't me who i am is 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 beyond those stories now it's beyond that history mm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's absolutely no reason to have or not have a bio, by the way. (laughs) Um, I'll try and write one. (laughs) No, it really doesn't matter. But also, you know, all of those things that you just mentioned, those challenges, are they not dragons that you've fought? They are. Um, I've, I've gone down many avenues as I've really tried to, um, Connecting to who I am beyond, um, and again, we've got a probably a, a lot of the listeners have tapped into people like your Bruce Lipton's, your Joe Dispenza, um, maybe Kyle Cease, um, and I, what I what I look at is, um, and it was probably an insight that I sort of got for myself is is that a lot of us, myself if I talk about myself primarily, is that working from a personality that was created for me but not by me. And the sojourn back to who I am based on a, I think every philosophy, every religion says know thyself, and it's I don't think it's by mistake that that's the premise of, of your own evolution. And, I, and so it's been this beautiful um, exciting, painful, uh, dragon slaying experiences <laughs> to, to get to know myself. It was funny. I, I, doing the plant medicine journeys that I've, I've done, you know, yeah, really indulged in or not indulged. Right? I've felt called to sort of sit in this with some of the plant medicines and one of them was psilocybin and there was a big dragon energy within that. And I think the dragons are very amazing symbolism. It's the, for me, it's a symbolism of alchemy. Um, and that's what it sort of came through to me as a symbol of alchemy or the symbol of alchemy. So, yeah, so there has been some, maybe not so much the slaying of the dragons, but the embracing of them. Yeah, I love that. It's I had a, a story with dragons also in a sound healing mm. with an Indigenous elder and um, he was using the didgeridoo on my mm. throat and heart and I saw dragons like mm. being released. So it was, yeah, there's something very powerful and mystical about the dragon archetypal energy. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, to go back to your experience with the sound healer right before your podcast and just releasing whatever that was around the throat mm. chakra that was perhaps constricting you from bringing mm. this message to the world, I mean, that is so profound. I love that. Mm, mm. And it's the... I was sobbing like <laughs> my beautiful wife Katarina was next to me and another friend of ours, Catherine, um, was next to Kat. And, uh, yeah, I was chatting to them. I, I was quite, sh- it was quite a release. And, and, and I think this is, um, and as we've experienced or anyone who's done any of the sound healing or, or even, um, the plant medicines, there's a release. Um, things like with ayahuasca, sometimes it's actually a, an energetic or a physical vomit that you'll experience. Um, 
or yawning or or tears. Uh, I know there's been times where I've just had tears just welling without the emotion, but it's just been this release, and you're just going, "Oh gosh, what's coming out of me?" It's just, <laughs> but there's this releasing, and 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 I guess that's that's the principle of the of uh, you know, source, soul, energy, whatever you want to define it as, is that it, you need to release to receive, and. Yeah. Yeah, and so for myself, it's actually, and that's part of the journey of returning to wholeness, which is releasing what you're not, um, and that's really what I'm, yeah, I mean, when I say what I'm not, what's served me to an extent to get to me to where I am, um, what did Carl Jung say, you know, until we make the unconscious conscious, it'll rule our life and we'll call it fate, and so it's bringing the unconsciousness into the conscious state. And with that, there's a releasing of what doesn't calibrate to who you are. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I've gone off on a waffle street then. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's a lovely waffle. Um, and I think you're right. You know, you touched on that point of um, who am I to have these, have this voice and to share these mm. messages. And I think it's something that, uh, you know, I definitely experienced that in waves um, all the time, but definitely with releasing this podcast as well, who would want to listen to me? And, mm. you know, I've always been quite an introvert with a quiet voice and even, you know, I was at the pub last weekend and I could I could barely be heard. I noticed that my voice was so little and quiet that every time I tried to speak over the noise in the band, people would lean in and look at me like with a puzzled expression, like, what are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But getting past that, getting past those ideas of yourself and having the confidence to put your words into the world is a big thing. And I'm really glad that you've done that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's, 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 it's a beautiful experience. I think it's, to hear yourself speaking back as well and to to recognise aspects of like was sort of contemplating about listening, the skill of listening. And there's a couple of times I've played things back of people I've interviewed and I've gone, I, I, I sort of went off on a tangent of what I wanted to say or, or the direction I wanted the conversation to go in as opposed to, hang on a second, there's something more coming through here and just sort of being in that really grounded listening state. So it's been a beautiful gift as I've been doing that, is actually learning the the art of listening. Yeah, so important. So important to bring into our conversations in everyday life. Mm, Yeah. It's not something we're taught, you know. No, it's not something we're taught. Because there's a lot, and we can can go down so many rabbit holes here, but there's a lot of outsourcing of everything in life. And part of it is also the outsourcing of of what is valuable, and or, or people telling you what is worth and so that becomes what you then tune into and the, the the shiniest noisiest thing is usually what connects people in um but the ability to actually have a real sort of presence and quietness and being able to sort of trust that i actually had my son say to me dad how do you know something is true and and i went wow Fantastic, great question. And I said, for me, what I look at is that how do I know something is true? Because it's familiar. If I really sit in that connected space, it's familiar. 
It's it comes from that sort of that space, and I think that's that. We've got five senses that most people are familiar with, but there's two noble senses, which is imagination and intuition. And that intuition is that 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 voice that you know, if anyone really and and again, we seem to will be probably attracting listeners that have already sort of stepped into this space of actually understanding the innate or the intuitive space. But for those that haven't, if you sit there for thirty seconds and observe your thoughts. And at the end of that 30 seconds, I ask yourself the question, am I my thoughts or am I the observer of my thoughts? And so that observation space is really where the voice of intuition can sit. Um, but to tap into that, you need to be in a state of ease. Mm. And and from ease, then you can connect. And that's when you can really start to hear that side of things. And the more you exercise that muscle, the more agile will you become. And, you know, with, with that side of things. So, yeah, so how do you know something's true? It's familiar from a connected state. Mm. I love that. It's a great mm. description. Um, so I jumping back to your yeah. previous career, um, yeah, yeah. now I've heard that it was in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm keen to know more about this. You know, how did you get into a career with Big Pharma? What did yeah. you learn? What did you experience in there that made you question and then finally walk away? Yeah, look, it was, um, so I've always been passionate about people and and um, I've always had a, a propensity to move towards movement and that side of things in life, um, which, and so biology and, um, and we moved from the Dandenongs out to the country and, and so then connecting in with the, the farming environment and, and that natural sort of beautiful native environment of the bush around me as well. And so there's always been this propensity to move forward into, into the, into health, what I would, and again, you know, having prescribed to me what, what the definition of health is like. Um, we think health is that that medical model side of things. And anyway, I, I ended up working in a disability support role um, and up in Queensland, and they were going through the change from institutionalising um, individuals with intellectual or physical disabilities um, into home-based um, sort of setups, so they, what they call the alternate living houses. And I was actually, I was quite, was quite fortunate. I was working with beautiful teenagers in a respite care centre and I was sort of appalled at, at the the lack of interest in looking after these kids, these teenagers. It was very much sit them in front of a TV, entertain them and feed them crap food. Mm. And so part of my onboarding with this role, though, we had to do a course and we had to set up an assignment of what we wanted to do. So I did a full costing of what was required just to bring that environment up to a level of of what I would deem basic humanity. But also starting to look at, and again, I was really naive. I'm talking in my early twenties, and I'd read some some books by um, or some information by Carl Delacarte and Glenn Doman, which is on the neuroplasticity of the brain, and they probably brought it into the, the popular environment. And and so I'm thinking, could we actually start to heal? Could we actually start to get a better result? Um, you know, I had uh, had a, a lot of the parents were coming up and telling me that my child was normal up until a particular interaction with the, the health industry. And 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 I, so I started to see that side of things. So then I thought, 
okay, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'll, I'll study a Bachelor of Human Movement Science with a focus on this side of things and to get out and actually start to introduce a way of working with these with with people on their road to heal to wholeness. So I was a young dad as well. Um, my daughter was two at the time when I went back to university and and moved the whole family up to Rockhampton or Yapoon, which is on the coast of, in Queensland, for those in Australia. And and so yeah, so we we had um I went and studied human movement science and um but I needed to also make a bit of coin. Uh, so at the end of that I I got a job as a personal trainer working out of the Sheraton in Nusa for an organization. I and I started working with people with these neurodegenerative disorders um, or acquired injuries, uh, which a lot of the neurodegenerative is actually an acqu- more an acquired injury as opposed to some genetic disposition. And so I'd had people with Parkinson's, MS. I had a gentleman that actually had used defatting agents in a roll and for cleaning fuel tanks, and he knocked off his myelin sheath. And then I did a course with... Um, a mob called Anshua, New Start for Underachievers, which was actually looking at the the primal reflexes and how they, if they're not converted or, or um, uh, metabolized correctly within the body, they can they can stay as a either a cognitive or a movement dysfunction or a focus dysfunction. So yes, yeah, so I started doing a lot of that sort of work, but that was back in the day before exercise physiology was really recognised as a as a as as a legitimate path of uh, within the, the the health industry, and I'm using an in inverted commas, and so um, yeah, it became very very hard to, to look after the family and and make a living. And and at that time too, I had a relationship breakdown. I had my two beautiful kids with uh, with their mum, and we ended up having a relationship breakdown. And financially, I I hit the wall, and I went, oh shit, I need to earn some money, and my sister at the time was working for a pharmaceutical company and she was telling me that it's a really good place for interacting with people. And, and I went, okay, well, maybe I can go in there. That's, that's a health industry. <laughs> and then, yeah. So then I ended up um, 20 years of golden handcuffs and um, thinking I, again, always having a voice, but always challenging that environment. Um, and, yeah, it was a, it was interesting because actually before I did that, I sort of jumped ahead a little bit. I was actually starting to work with a lot of innate knowledge. I ended up, I had my, I ended up having my own exercise physiology business or exercise science business and working with an osteopath and, a, and an amazing GP who, who had a, a, he was a mainstream GP, but had studied, was studying in osteop- osteopathy as well. Um, I was working with my own myotherapy, um, working on adjusting um, people from a, a, a muscular fascia level, um, and yeah, so I was I was really as I was stepping more and more into that, I was seeing amazing results. And then, what was interesting is as I when I moved in the pharmaceutical industry, I lost connection with that. I lost yeah. connection with that innate expression, and yeah, so <laughs> I, I ended up having a getting married again and had had another relationship breakdown probably about 10 years into that marriage. And then, um, yeah, the, now with my beautiful wife, Katarina, we've been together for about 10 years now as well. And, and yeah, that was interesting to actually move out of the pharmaceutical industry of 
last mid last year. So, wow. but yeah. So, and what was your role while you were in the pharmaceutical industry? Yeah. So initially, it started off uh, chatting with GPs on particular medications, and then moving into um, working with specialists in the in a in a key account management role. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, got to see a lot of things behind the scenes, and I, I there was an interview I've done with. Um, Dr. Sarah Farrant, who's a chiropractor in New Zealand, gorgeous. Uh, she's an Aussie chick as mm-hmm. well. And, and so she was just amazing when she starts to talk about health and the, you've got the alternative, you, uh, you've got the allopathic, you've got the alternative. And she said, we're missing one. And it's the alternate, which is the one that comes from that innate space. And I think, I think that's what's really become very clear. You could see the allopathic. Um, yeah. I would sit in with, listen to these specialists um, during some of the education sessions that they do and, and you'd listen to them talking about the person as some sort of machine, this mechanistic sort of environment. Um, and that one, one of the roles was working with within the heart or cardiovascular area and you'd hear this, these conversations they'd be having and I'm thinking, what about the person's heart? Where's mm-hmm. they, where, they, where are they sitting from a heart? heart-based perspective and I'm not talking the, the the physiology of the heart I'm talking the the consciousness of the heart yeah and where's that conversation with that individual nothing that's <laughs> yeah you would you would have this glazed over sort of look even if you sort of even suggested that, that oh that's woo-woo shit but now we work with real science oh okay right how's that working for you yeah so it's funny you say that I Uh, And here's another synchronicity. I also studied human movement science back in 94, but I didn't didn't end up finishing that one, but was definitely drawn to it as well. And then I ended up doing a naturopathy degree. And throughout that, even though I would have said we sat in the alternative side of things, that conversation was still missing from our clinical discussions in class. Where's the person in all of this? Where's, where's the psychology, the emotion and the heart consciousness of this person? You know, it was very much a clinical discussion and the mm. person was reduced to their condition or their symptoms or their, yeah, mecha- a mechanistic viewpoint. So I really feel you on that and yet I was in the alternative at the at, at mm. that time but having the same thoughts. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, we 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 see this. What the alternative does is it it creates a little bit more of a side by side approach, but you're still working from that that idea of allopathic in in some respects. This is the, a group of symptoms, and this is how we we treat it. And uh, I love what Sarah sort of shares with the, this introduction to the alternate, um, and she's. Um, written a book called The Vital Truth, um, which is an amazing book. Um, and The Health Illusion was another one she's written. But when you actually listen to this alternate, what's fascinating about it is, is that we know with, when we look at with Chinese medicine, for example, and I think Louise Hay popularized this a little bit too, is that starting to connect disease with, with a, with an emotion, for example. Um, you know, if you're an angry person, you've got shit on the liver. And so you could have a, a bit of an issue, or if you're hard of heart, you could have some heart issues. And 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 I think German new medicine also taps a little bit into that wisdom as well. But 
sometimes it's actually, it's not what the problem is. Um, I actually shouldn't say sometimes, all the time, it's not what the problem is. You can treat the symptom and you can alleviate the symptom and you can feel better. But what's sitting in that space that needs to, hmm, needs to adjust, that needs to be, that needs to calibrate. And, and it could be something so, so one of the examples that Sarah's used and I'm using as well, rather than call something a sickness, you call it a health expression. Mm. And just even just that change of language. If you sit, I'm having a health expression. Hmm. If I could sit in that space, it's interesting what actually comes forward is not necessarily maybe the, um, I've got a cold, I've caught a virus per se. It, it may be that. You know what? I'm I'm really out of calibration with the relationship I'm having with my daughter, for example, or with with my wife, or um, I'm I'm just feeling a little bit lost in this this space. And you sit in that 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 space, uh, and 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 hold. Well, actually, you hold that space for what what is coming forward. Now, this is completely outside of all the symptoms you're feeling and the snotty nose or whatever it might be. But if you sit in that space, it's interesting what actually starts to come. Up. And as you have the, the courage to, you know, that Carl Jung thing, bring the unconscious into the conscious and sit with it and release it, well, that's the definition of love for me is actually sitting with your own unconsciousness. And you you release that, wow, something more beautiful comes forward. And so there's a calibration that goes on. There's an adjustment. There's a releasing. Um, I love the word decision. It comes from the same word as incision, so it's the it's to cut away. And so some of those things you'll just sort of cut away and release. And then you can step forward into a, into a new calibration of yourself. And it's so fascinating when you do that. The symptoms, the feelings, those, that health expression you have will start to alleviate. I mean, how many times you've seen the um, people who've had like an end-stage cancer? And Anita Mujani is a perfect example of that is that the expression that she was having in her body was, or the health expression she was having in her body, that was defined as cancer. But when she was able to step beyond the personality that was created for her and step into the innate um, gift of being seen who she really is, when she came back into her body, her, her body then was now calibrated to this new state. Now you would sit there and say, it's a health expression, it's cancer, it's, it's, it's what you're eating, it's what you're... Um, you know, it's the chemicals, it's the, the your your genetics and that side of things. But in actual fact, it was when she recal- she calibrated from a soul based level, not a mind based level. Then all of a sudden, her body came online with that new wisdom, and that new wisdom is about returning the whole body to wholeness. And so we we see this change. And so I think I think what we've we've been missing and certainly seeing it within the pharmaceutical industry and seeing behind the scenes within these medical environments, these hospitals is that that's, that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's trying to, that's trying to, um, what's a good analogy. It's trying to switch the hose off, but yet the dam's leaking and they're going, Oh, I've switched the hose off. It's all good. It's all good. There's no more water over here, but you're saying, yeah, but the whole dam is leaking. We need to be going over there and seeing why, what's going on there. Not looking at the root causes. Yeah. Yeah, the wisdom sits behind it. Yeah, there's so much in what you just shared. Um, Anita Majani's story is pretty amazing, of her spontaneous mm-hmm. healing, I would urge 
people to go and look that up if they don't know about her. Mm. Um, but yeah, that idea of health expressions rather than sickness or symptoms. And part of the problem, I guess, is that we're, we're not good at sitting with discomfort. Mm. So when we have pain and snot and coughs and sore throats and things like that, you know, we're, we dismiss that as something terrible, something bad. We've got to get rid of it as fast as possible. And that's mm. often where pharmaceutical products come in. And, um, but, but it's our whole attitude towards it as well. And you're, you're right in, in just flipping this and calling it a health expression. Or I know with German new medicine, it's, it's the healing that those mm. symptoms are evidence that your body's in a healing phase. Mm. And when you start to move into, that definition everything can change and then you can obviously you have to slow down your life when you're unwell when you've got this stuff going on so you mm. might be have a have a few days where you're around the house and you're sitting around or you're in bed or whatever it is but the gift in that is that slowing down to be able to process mm. whatever needs to come up right oh absolutely i, I think I, I was sitting there we the last four years with virus viruses virus mania uh, virus mania has been out and i actually went everything has a role there is an ecosystem within this 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 world um what's the role of a virus and i sat with that and what i got was what do you do when you want to detox well you stop eating um you sweat you, you go off into a sauna and you jump in a sauna you rest um you try and purge stuff out of your body. Um, you pay attention to yourself. You know, how many of us go on a oh, have gone on a detox retreat? I'm going on a retreat, which I think is a funny word anyway. I'm not a big fan of the term retreat. I think we should change the name to instead of, I'm going to a retreat. I'm going to an engage, is what I would call it, <laughs> rather than a retreat. Or a, I love it. Or a, or a recalibrate, but I think why would you want to retreat from life? I, I think funny anybody... to think about these words that we just use yeah. so commonly without actually thinking what it means. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Like I, for plant medicine, for me, is not a retreat; it's an engage. It's like when I felt the calling of it, it's to engage. I, I, I'm, I'm all in. I want to. Um, I love what Carl C said, says. You know, calibrate with me with my soul, no matter what the cost. What a freaking courageous statement to make, but then to actually have that as your as your north star is is that so yeah I think um, yeah these these terminologies we use sorry I went off on a tangent on retreat a <laughs> 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 shocker this morning with that so but <laughs> but yeah I, I I think these when we start looking at these health expressions we have in our body and so this is coming back to the virus analogy is that. Maybe what so we can we can learn through pain and suffering if we want. But if I said to you, I'm gonna teach my granddaughter that something's hot by getting an iron and sticking it on her hand, well that's teaching her. But that's abuse. And so the way of learning, and I and I'm not a big fan of people saying that pain is the best teacher, that's a crock of shit. Pain's not the best teacher. Pain is because we haven't we 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 haven't connected with who we are and we we're going through suffering um to to learn actually the best teacher is actually the being able to sit in that beautiful 
space and have the wisdom come through. I remember when I turned 30, I got a tattoo on my back. The old satin returns for all of us who, you know, the significance of that. <laughs> Actually, my stepson has just turned 30 uh, two days ago. And I said to him, mate, satin returns. And so I got a tattoo on my back. And I'm led to believe in, in it's actually in uh, Chinese uh, writing that it says, seeing with wisdom, everyone else says I got drunk and got a tattoo. But that, I've had it actually saying that from, a, from this lovely Chinese lady I know, she said, no, nah, it's definitely uh, um, Cantonese for, uh, you know, seeing with wisdom. And I should have probably put that on my forehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from 30 to 53 I am now. 20 years of, of being in the pharmaceutical industry. Hmm. Anyway, it, it, it got me to where I am. Anyway. Yeah. But that's a that's a pain and suffering. And I think I think a lot of um our journey of of is to return to that wholeness of who we are. And we've lost a lot of the the wisdom along the way that would, would flip us into that innate. Um Probably, you know, not probably, but one of the insights that I've really has landed incredibly well with me is from the ages of conception through to the seven years of age, there is a, a real, there should be a real focus on understanding the, the upregulation of the nervous system within that human child. And We've heard that, you know, from the ages of zero to seven, that's when your base programs are set. And by the time you turn 35, 95% of who you are are just reflex reactions of the unconscious, which is a, I, I, I would be a testament to that. I think, but that, that age of how important is, um, is the nervous system. I think within the first six weeks, that nervous system comes on board as far as a, a brain and a spinal cord. And it's so important that it encases the bone in. It's encasing it in bone, and Sarah Farrant talks about this as well with a lot of her stuff. And then, but we come into this world with a very immature nervous system, very different to any other animal on this earth. And we know it because you look at a, a baby; baby doesn't get up and walk for many years, a couple of years. Um, and there's also these reflexes that are that the baby has that's forcing it in some respects, stimulating it externally stimulating it into engaging with the environment to really bring that nervous system on board and calibrate it with the brain and the cross pattern movements. And so the hemispheres of the brain, they get cross pattern and connected in. And now, you know, we look at the, 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 the reptilian aspect of our brain and then a, a mammalian aspect and the frontal lobe comes in as we develop language more and more. And, and these things start to calibrate and for that to come on board, and to become on board effectively, it also requires the wisdom that there is a time where that that external based connection with the world. And so, a lot of kids, it's all about the external, and it's about feeling better and and that side of things. We need to be able to have that wisdom of actually how do we flip it to an internal based um, identity of of or a, a locus of of identity rather than external and start to move that in actually it was funny we we're talking about upway and there was a probably one of the first sort of real epiphanies i had as a kid was i was walking up belgrave avenue in upway and i was i, I still remember where i was uh, i was probably about three houses away or, or just two houses away from my home at the, at the time and i remember just having this absolute understanding of 
how do we know this isn't a dream and one day we'll wake up from it? Wow. Profound, profound statement. And what really sort of cemented it to me, my, my dad's a very knowledgeable person. Um, and I remember going to my dad saying, Dad, you know, how do we know this isn't a dream and one day we'll wake up from it? And what surprised me, instead of having an answer, he went, I don't know. How do we know it's not a dream? And so that's really sort of stuck with me. And I think what that was, was, was that was the invitation to, to really explore that internal environment. But as we know, that we, that needs to be mediated. Um, and, and this generational wisdom, this elder wisdom that, that we, we have seen hidden and, um, demonized and, um, outsourced to, to people who are actually more immature in their development. Um, so we've lost that ability to flip that internal based identity to, a, uh, you know, that external based identity to an internal based, which is that intuitive innate side of things. So yeah, that's, um, that's, um, I think it's so important too to be able to hear from an elder occasionally. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have all the answers because mm. even though we do look to them for wisdom, we don't always know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're well, right. That opens up the questioning then for you. You can, you can kind of begin to go, okay, well, there's not a concrete answer to that. I can then think about that and sit with it. Well, it is. And, and so we've heard about the Akashic records and, um, when anyone has looked at Rupert Sheldrake stuff where it talks about morphic resonance. So the idea behind morphic resonance is as a, discovery or an insight is brought forward it's without connection like physical connection there's that knowledge becomes available to everyone um roger bannister is probably a good example of that he ran the four minute mile impossible absolutely impossible and then he broke the four minute mile and all of a sudden it's possible Mm -hmm. so that's probably an example of the akashic records and um and part of that is is being able to tap into all that that knowledge that's actually out there if you if you work from that analogous language. But I think what's even more fascinating is rather than filling our head up with knowledge, which is, which is great, is to actually see what comes through from a wisdom perspective because evolution is, isn't about or evolving or expansion of humanity isn't about just repeating from the same mind that created the current situation. It's bringing forward a new wisdom that hasn't been seen that hasn't been expressed. And I think that's that's the stuff that I'm really interested in because we move away from an act of memoriser existence um, to a, an innate expression. And that's that's a more beautiful, Charles, Charles Eisenstein say, a more beautiful world a heart can imagine. Mm. That's something more creative we can bring forward. Mm. I love that. So, Duncan, you're a father and a grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now you're involved with a, a men's group that you meet with regularly as well. So yeah. I'm interested to know what your relationship is to your um, manhood, to being a good man, to being a mm. man of substance, and how has that evolved over the years? Yeah, well, it's certainly <laughs> in the environment around us. Uh, isn't every male toxic? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm tongue in cheek with that. 
it's been an absolute gift to be a, a grandfather and um but it's also I look at it and go, oh, shit, I wish I'd done better with my kids and I wish I'd done this. So I've gone through the shame shit show that seems to come forward when you have that initial sort of awareness of like, oh, there's probably a more wholesome way I could have done stuff. Um, yeah, and, and I think every parent goes through the shame <laughs> shit show. I love your terminology. <laughs> and, yeah, and, 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 and I think the... This is this. I love the definition of grace is, is, is how you receive yourself after. And so being able to sort of receive myself now and just going, okay, all right. That's that level of unconsciousness that I work from. Um, that's the, the, by the sweat of your brow, you'll tour the land pain and suffering way of, of developing, which is not a healthy way of developing, by the way. So yeah. So I think for me, um, being able to sort of step into that space and step into what is a man, what does it mean to be a man? And um, I, masculinity hasn't been patterned in a healthy way a lot of the times. Um, I think, um, you know, for me, the 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 understanding of you know, anyone who does a bit of a sojourn and we look at the, the analogous language of, or the symbolic language of of um, the masculine and feminine, and if we look at the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine, there is that sort of, and even just the stories that have gone through different religious sort of and philosophies have always looked at this concept of a connection between the two, and then something more is brought forward. And I think we have that masculine and feminine component within us, but we have it with. So for me, I'm, I'm expressing that through the masculine body. And expressing that through the masculine um, patterns that I actually have, and you know, I've, I've got a physiology that's 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 come on board from a, a, a biochemical perspective that is a masculine expression, and the the you know my my chromosomes are actually talking about that as well that I am in that space as well. So I'm I'm expressing in this this life as a male, and which is fantastic. And so every part of me from, from the physiology right through to the psychology has a masculine bent on it. And we know, you know, with the, the effects of some of the masculine-based hormones and all that sort of stuff, there is that sort of even a, a bigger expression. And um, anyone who's tried to wrestle a mud crap knows that something with a high level of testosterone is trying to rip you apart for those that don't know mud crabs have the highest level of testosterone apparently out of Do they? i didn't know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so there you know there is that sort of there's a high level of expression but i i you know I, I don't think that just because you've got high testosterone does make you aggressive by by any means and i think that's a load of bullshit that's <laughs> been perpetrated of late you know it's the testosterone that's making him aggressive no no it's a, it's the connection of who they are so yeah so stepping into that space as a as a grandfather as a father um i've had a very i look at the gifts in life um and you know I've, i i had both sets of grandparents um i live with my grandfather and grandmother um, grandfather was scottish and my grandmother was german for uh, a few years in my uh, year 12 and a couple of years after that and having had that generational sort of connection as well, and then being a great, a young great, uh, a, a young grandfather. I'm not a great grandfather. Yet. <laughs> Nowhere near that age, but having eight 
uh, how many are two? Seven? Six? Six grandkids, uh, and maybe another on the way. But having having those those seven grandkids in the equation is just a wow! What a gift to be able to see that the importance of their generational wisdom, but also the 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 expression of the generational trauma as well, and being able to see that played out at, at the different ages as well, and making sure that I'm not a perpetrator of that <laughs> that generational yeah trauma. you're a pattern breaker yeah yeah i think that's the i think what we see is that and then the, and whether this is just analogous whether it's true is that i think there are people within various generations everyone's got the capacity to alchemize generational trauma and but i think some individuals seem to be ascribed that mantle Mm. And and I know for myself that's been an experience of it and having gone through the release of generational trauma and feeling what it feels like after that is quite profound, um, the lightness in your body, the knowing that you've actually stopped it not only from the generations forward but it's having an influence in generations back if anyone taps into the quantum understanding of how we live. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a, that's that's another aspect of the evolution but yeah so I'm, I'm i'm loving i don't know if i fully answered your question <laughs> no that's beautiful um i can't believe you have that many grandkids you don't look old enough at all oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> but it's, so yeah. tell me a bit more about the men's group because you know why why is it so important especially right now that men have a good group of mates of blokes that they can go to for support and perhaps mentor one another and just get together and talk and do stuff yeah so probably the best way to answer that is is that if we look at us if we look at a person who's in a state of disease um and you look at another person who's actually quite healthy and who they are and both of them walk into the to a movement studio um with a really good um, fitness coach or a health coach. One is actually trying to get to a base level of just starting to feel normal. And I use that sort of the term loosely. Another one is already at that normal state and is trying to expand. And I think what I started to see is, is that a lot of us, and especially blokes have come from a, a, a state of, um, how we've interpreted the world has been imposed on us. And so if we look at it for me, my the ethos of the world that was per- flowing through from my grandfather and my father was the world is a dangerous place. And so the interaction with the world is from that that etiology, that unconscious etiology that the world is a dangerous place. So you're straight away into a fear and flight freeze state in your existence. And then we actually look at the concept of of parenting and and how to parents and um and so i see with a lot of a lot of men's groups that people uh, blokes are stepping into that place to be able to and i know the one i connect in with the junto um the cornerstone gym i go to um is about bringing forward patterns of what would be a healthy expression and again it's still knowledge-based and 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 I think there's a real to be able to be if we've missed the boat 
from the ages of zero to seven. I want to say missed the boat. The boat hasn't really sort of gone to where it needed to go. And then beyond that age of seven, we've gone into our teenage years. And then there's another transition as the hormones and the body starts to change. And the identity is, is if it hasn't flipped as an internal-based identity, then everything will be about fitting in and being part of a group and being um, being seen by an external group and having mates and and those sort of things which is can be quite a dysfunction well it is it, it's you know you look at a lot of us guys the connection with is yeah, within a sporting environment i remember working as a sports trainer for a local afl team and they're looking at building a new clubhouse and i said why don't we get rid of the not have any pokies and why don't we not have a bar attached to it and why don't we actually bring forward a, a healthy sort of perspective <laughs> i was a i was a radical thinker back, back wow. in the 90s. how did that go down <laughs> Um, a glazed over look as they uh, resting their 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 pint of beer on their their beer belly um, at the committee meeting. Um, you know, I'm saying, oh look, yeah, why don't we stick in a gym? You know, who who would have thought it? You know, doing a a, a big commercial gym as part of the part of it, and I could train the teams that were part of it and and start to introduce a different. And we can you know we can look at a cafe that sells healthy food. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought that would be an ideal place for a sporting club? No, we need to get we need to have get on the piss and and that sort of thing. So it's crazy, but, isn't it? But yeah, so look, coming back to this men's group side of things, I think there's a real need to start to bridge and that that passion and teach blokes a paint by numbers approach to having a healthy existence. And but I think. For me, what what is there's a healthiness to that, but there's also a toxicity within that. Mm-hmm. And the healthiness is is that you're starting to have patterns around you. It's a bit like people who who connect in with the church environment. And I was heavily involved in the church many years ago, not anywhere in that space now, but I can speak Bible um, as well. And but. When you actually look at that, and actually some of the analogies I use are actually from that space as well. And, and but when you actually look at that church environment, there's a very much you come in there and you start being good, and nice. you start to identify what bad is. Now, if anyone's got any basic knowledge of the Bible, there are two trees in the Garden of Eden. One you shouldn't be eating from, which is the knowledge of good and bad, which is fascinating. So this. So that that gives you a bit of a for me it gives you a bit of a clue of the evolution of how do you how do you have that connection with your soul how do you come from that innate space that wisdom space that that quantum space that god space whatever language you want to put on it that really gets you to realize there's something more divine there's something greater out there um, as the chiropractors would say and I think um, Didi Palmer would say who was the one of the big chiros that are out there is that the, the energy that made the body heals the body mm. and so there's a universal energy that sort of sits out there and if we can connect into that or well, what can be expressed from that space so i think coming around to the the answering for a men's group i think it's really it's useful to have the patterning of that but i i think where the toxicity comes in is is that it's a bit like relationships if you're in a relationship for somebody to fill a a gap in who you are then you're in a dependency 
And look, it can work for a period of time. I mean, the classic example of that is the Five Love Languages book, which I'm not a big fan of, by the way. Um, <laughs> I smuttered that under the brush. All these people <laughs> who, who base the relationship on the Five Love Languages are saying, "Oh, you're full of shit, don't." But the but the reality is with that is is that it's a beautiful book in the extent of that if you if you identify what your love language is, and and what should have what I feel should be in that book is another chapter, which actually says, why do I need that? And what you actually find is a lot of people are needing that. And if they actually go down to the root of that, it's like, why do I eat healthy? I remember having a discussion with a friend of mine. Why do we eat healthy? And when we drilled it down is that she didn't doesn't want to die. And you go, right, start there. Because if we anything that we build, from a trauma base, we'll have a foundation. If we're doing something from a trauma base, it'll always have a foundation that is shaky. Yeah. And so we need to do things from a return to wholeness, which is the healing space. When we heal, that's the space we create from, not from the trauma, because the trauma becomes an identity. And yes. that's an ex- Yeah. And but so you reiteration with that. Yeah. You're right. There's such a difference between eating healthy to not die versus eating healthy to nourish this beautiful vehicle that our soul's in. And you come from that gift space. I mean, we've been given this beautiful, gorgeous, incredible um, expression. This this tangible expression, man. Yeah. That I that I can dance in it. I can dance in this thing. I can. Yeah, I can I can experience so much within this, um, and I can actually have an even more beautiful experience if I can actually calibrate it better. Sure. Um, yeah. And how's yeah. how's the dancing going with your Achilles injury? <laughs> Are you dancing again? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that was that was probably that beautiful sojourn because that really sort of connects into the what I did all my life. I've wanted to fit in. Um, I was. When I moved from the city out to the country, horrendously bullied. Um, and my brother had the gift of the gab and I had the gift of the fists. And that's how I got through school. And, and I, I hated it. I hated hurting people. I hated that, that, that space of, of having to be and you know, giving the, the bullies the biggest shiner they've had in their, their whole life. And for them, they know what a shiner is, the black eye. Um, and, and it was just a very tumultuous sort of state, this fight and flight anxiety state. But all I wanted to do was fit in. You know, somebody see me, somebody validate me, somebody do this. And I searched my whole life. My relationships were based on um, uh, you know, my my two, well, I've been married three times. And um, and I, 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 I always say I'm either shit at it or I've learned something along the way. And <laughs> that's all I did learn. the art. <laughs> perfected the art through pain and suffering through the knowledge of good and evil eating from the wrong friggin tree yeah so i um yeah so I, I i think what i um when i i snapped my achilles it was at the men's group um as part of the gym and and i remember going all right own this mate uh, yeah, some people would say, oh, it's their fault. They didn't train. They didn't warm me up. And I, I didn't even go there with it. For me, it was like, right, responsible. So the first thing I did is I shut down all groups. So the innate wisdom that came through from me, if I look at the 
working from I've got a health expression. I didn't use that language back then, and I understand that I was actually applying this principle. I've got a health expression. Um, we know the analogy of the Achilles, the Achilles heel. Anyone knows the story yes. with that? And and so part of that was I was out of calibration. I was still working in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so I was able to, I had some some time to to heal my body. Um, this all happened with the, the BS shutdowns that had gone on around the world. And so um, I was able to sort of be able to work through my own healing, but I actually purposely disconnected with all groups. Um, I disconnected with outsourcing to a degree. I, I would go and outsource. Um, I went to a physio for a little bit who taught me one principle, which was great, um, but the movement patterns that he was doing was not I, I I understood that environment anyway cause mm. from my background. But I also went to a mate of, uh, this mate of mine who, with a nutritious conversation, he's a coach as well, and I said, right, I need to do some movement patterns. Are you able to observe how I move and see if we can actually just bring an awareness in that space? So introduce that movement pattern. But what was fascinating about that was that desire to – I started to learn about um, – or an insight that came through to me was that we should never compromise in life. And we, we always hear relationships about compromise. And what I started to understand is that if I did a lot of martial arts in the background um, for about 20 years, I was doing karate and a few different styles of karate, um, a little bit of Kung Fu as well. And, and one of the things that we always learn is you've got to have a very strong foundation and then you work your flexibility from that foundation. But if your foundation isn't strong and you throw a kick, for example, um, you can't modulate how much power you're putting behind the kick, let alone being able to pull that kick back. So you'll typically see a kick that goes around. You see people who don't know how to hold a good foundation, they'll do a kick and they'll do a pirouette uh-huh. with their kick, whereas you should be able to throw that kick and bring it back into 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 place for those that, are listening i'm doing hand gesturing <laughs> there's a lot of movement going on it's great a lot of movement going on <laughs> yeah so so for me it was um this understanding that that you should never compromise in life you should have flexibility but flexibility always comes from that innate foundation and so what i've started to find working in that pharmaceutical industry and especially the last few years because i was working for one of the companies that was pushing the um the jabs and stuff and and to navigate that environment with with wisdom was quite profound to be able to do that. And I was able to do that without being shown the door, even though the, the threat was there. But I was but I was able to um during last year without no push from the company or anything like that, I just went, can't do this anymore. I was so out of calibration in who I am. Um and so the ask of me was to compromise rather than work from that flexibility state. And so I, the compromise, I couldn't do that anymore. Um, it was so interesting it was, that you had that injury at that time. Yeah, yeah. All that going on. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Bodies you wise. Either, <laughs> we can either learn from the feather brick or Mack truck. I uh, love that saying. I use it all <laughs> the time with my clients. It's so yeah. useful. Yeah, it is. You miss is. the feather, you miss the brick, you'll get the Mack truck. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But then there's the other spot is that if you can actually create the time of exercising that 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 awareness of your internal space, there's no feather, there's no brick, there's no Mack truck. There's just that that wisdom that flows through. 
you know and what that's to when do. we have intuition we have um i wouldn't say clairvoyance but you have that ability to 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 see the invisible path with a little bit more clarity of, of life around you and i think the more we sort of step into that i love krishnamurti saying you know when he was asked why why are you always happy and he goes i'm okay with what is and that's that or anyone who's read that beautiful book by Mickey Singer, The Surrender Experiment, um, yeah. uh, which is an incredible book, um, uh, or The Untethered Soul. The Untethered Soul is amazing. Yeah. Well, Becoming Untethered is the other one, which is the, the, the practical aspect of it, and, and amazing books. But it is that being okay with what is, being being okay with, with that side of things. So, yeah, so coming back to that, that question about the 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 men's group, the importance of a men's group. I think a men's group is really important, um, especially if you're coming from that not knowing who you really are and um, really having that, re- that, that that journey and having people around that are patterning that, that in a um, healthy-ish, I don't use that word, um, way because I think, there's a lot of men's groups out there that are, and especially the ones that are really hooking into the warrior stuff and um, going out and throwing axes and stuff like that. And yeah, great expression, but that's not masculinity. <laughs> that's uh, let's try to get back to uh, to find who you are through a modality of the tribal. And uh, yeah, you, yeah. you can do that. You can have fun with that. There's, you know, but it's. But there is a point. And so the analogy I use, Anita, is a biblical analogy of, of, of um, and if we look at, if we look at like men's groups, there is an outsourcing. There's a lot of areas that we outsource. There's a lot of areas that we're, we're contracted to or energetically entangled, as a beautiful friend of mine would say, that, and a lot of unconscious um, entanglement that we actually have out there. And there's a lot of unconscious contracts we've written out there. And, so what we find is, is there's a lot of outsourcing in the world around us where we, we outsource our thinking, we outsource our health, we outsource our whatever it might be. And so what, what I see is the analogy of um, Jesus walking on the water or actually more, I think it was Simon walking on the water. So a bit of background. And again, it's an analogous language for me is that you've got these, you've got these, these groovers, the disciples are, They've just done it all the feeding of the, the the hordes with the fishes and the loaves and all that sort of stuff, an amazing sort of spread of food out there from 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 nothing greatness was created. And anyway, they've all jumped in the boat and Jesus has gone, right, lads, I'm gonna go for a walk. Um, I'll see you over the other side. Jump in the boat, cruise across and catch me. So they they're going across the boat at the 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 ocean or the sea and Next minute, the storm brew blows up, and the waves are crashing. They're going crazy, and yeah, it's just terrible. And 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 then Jesus, they see something in the in the mist, and they go, oh, "Is it a ghost, or what's it affect?" And Peter goes, oh, "No, that's Jesus." And he goes, and Je- and he goes, "If that's you, Lord, you know, call me, and I'll I'll come to you." And so Jesus is walking on the water towards them, and so he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water towards. Jesus and you know and that's a that's a beautiful saying but if we actually look at the symbology of that so water is when when you're underwater you so the word breath and spirit um, come from the same etiology when you're underwater you can't breathe the water is the mind realm and so you see things like the flood and those analogous language is actually when you're when you're locked into the mind and the mind 
is the place of the act of memorizer. That's where we 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 have it. If the mind is running the ship, we're 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 coming from that space of an external based identity. And so what will happen is in life is that something will happen. You might get a book. You might get like self-esteem prophecies or a you might listen to a beautiful podcast like Inner Awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you might have a conversation with something. You might pick up a Bible or, or, or a religious text of some. And what it does, it's almost like you're underwater and you reach up and you grab a piece of driftwood and you pull yourself up and that driftwood that book or that conversation is that piece of driftwood and it pulls you up and you you come up above the water and you take a breath and you look around and you go, wow, there's something more. There's something more out there. And so the next thing you do is you start to go, this is not holding me up. I'll grab another piece of driftwood and I'll grab another piece. And so you grab these books and you grab these, these teachings and you do this course and you start to create this raft. And then eventually you climb on top of that raft. And that raft is fantastic, but that raft is built on knowledge. It's built on other people's um, either regurgitating what they've already heard and they've, they've got a lot of the people build rafts and, rafts and try and get you to jump on their raft. Stay with me. I'll keep you safe. Join my group. Stay in my social circle. Or you'll have your own raft and you'll, you'll, st- you'll collect driftwood or ideologies is another word or beliefs and you'll sort of collect all these knowledge. But there's a point you'll actually have to reach if you really want to step into that innate, that expression of yourself. You have to step off that raft and walk on water. And that's, that's that real sort of beautiful connection with who you are. And then that's when you start expressing from that stage and, and something more comes forward. So, what I see is a lot of the men's groups are rafts and they're really good. They keep, they, keep, they can keep you alive. They can keep you, uh, I know this men's group, there's been a couple of guys who've been facing suicide um, and have been talked off a ledge just because of the presence of that group. And, and that's, I remember having a conversation with my, my mind one time. I just went, I went, thank you so much. Um, thank you for driving this car. Thank you for keeping me alive. Uh, as cumbersome as it was Mm. sorry i wasn't there but i'm here now and if you jump in the back seat i'll drive from now and i have to sometimes remind it to get out of the front seat every now and then but but it's being able to step into that so men's groups are fantastic but another another analogy that that comes forward is and again I, i love breaking open religious texts as the word church and the word church is defined as coming together are the sanctified ones. And then you look at the word, what does sanctified mean? And sanctified means um, separation unto God. And you go, ooh, really interesting. Now, if anyone's delved into a little bit of the biblical sort of stuff, is that um, the kingdom of heaven is within, is one of the statements I made. So in other words, it's not out here. It's actually this inner state, this connection with your divine, with who you really are. And if you can connect in with that, that's when you can actually um, express the divine through the veil, through this beautiful expression that we actually have in this 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 world. So I think what we find is is that that sanctified is separation, and I think what's really important is is that we need to separate. We need to look at the why. If you can understand the why, why am I connected to this group? Because it makes me feel safe. Beautiful, good. Enjoy the safety of that. Now let's look into why do you feel unsafe. What sits in that? Um, what sits in that space? And can you come to a point where 
you feel secure in yourself. So all of a sudden now it's a bit like being in a relationship. If I have to rely on Kat, my wife, um, to, to, to demonstrate love all the time to me and I don't have love for myself, then we're in a toxic relationship. And, and I've even heard somebody say that love is not for anyone else, but the fruits of love are. Mm. Love is only for yourself. And, and we can go off into this whole sort of perverse, narcissistic, selfish side of things, and that's a mind base. But the love of that innate and connecting from that space, the fruits that come for, forward from that is what you share with the world around you. And that's, that's the abundance. That's that, that, that true abundance state. So men's groups, absolutely brilliant, but have the courage to dig into the why. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise what you do is you're, you're, you're staying in this outsource, externally validated, um, connected with the outside, but not connected with the, the internal state. Um, and, yeah, I mean, for me, I've stepped back into the men's group now, but I'm stepping back into it now. It's it's beautiful. It's uh, I don't I, every now and then I feel like oh, am I heard? Am I validated? Uh, and I feel that come up and I go oh, I'm still a little bit more there. Cool. All right, we'll sit with yeah. that. that. I I love that expression. We'll bring it forward. So yeah, so that's um, so I think men's groups are great, and I think there's a there's some guys doing some amazing work patterning masculinity. Um, healthy masculinity or the expression, their interpretation of that. But I think the importance is you have to connect yourself. That is such a brilliant description and answer. Thank you. Mm. Um, because it's not, <laughs> it's, but it's important to take that journey to get to that, that it's not, um, yeah, that the internal piece of that is very, very important. But I love the analogy of it being a raft to mm. have some safety, to take some breaths, to look mm. around and see what other blokes are doing and really, and then that gives you that um, foundation to be able to connect in on a deeper level. So, yeah, I, yeah it's look, wonderful. I, I know for me, I mean, I, I went through the lowest of lows. I, I tried suicide twice um, and and I'm glad I'll shit at that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, But it... It, to be in that dark state, and I remember seeing this amazing psychologist, and he used the analogy of a, a seesaw, and anyone who's had a, like an older cousin who's, who's twice their weight, you sit in one end and then on the other, you're, you're sitting up in this high thing, you're going to keep wanting to slide down. So if we look at that analogy, is that that heavy burden, you know, if you get it, something happens in life and you go through a, a traumatic experience, it's... It's so hard to anything. You've got people around you and you, all these good stuff that's sitting on the, the, the top, it just keeps sliding down and you can't lift. And I remember this, this amazing guy who said, look, what we need to do for a period of time, we need to jack up that other side. We need to put blocks underneath it. Now, that, at that stage, I had to surrender. I, I surrendered to everything because um, I was in that desperate space. And I went for a very short period of time, I went on an antidepressant. I went, Oh, this is crap. I want to feel everything. Mm. I had this innate knowledge to understand what I was going for. I needed to feel it. So for me, I just went, no, not going down that avenue. And I, I ended up really sitting in that space. And that's probably when I grabbed into a lot of the works of Joe Dispenza. And I was doing a lot of the, um, the mindfulness, mindfulness meditation that, um, he's an amazing guy. I can't think of his name now. Um, 
Cabot Zim, what's his name? Somebody Cabot Zim. Um, but yeah, some uh, and it, it was it was just amazing to be able to step into that space. But I think being able to actually have that 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 ability to take a breath um, is is really important. I did surf lifesaving for years, and one of the things we were taught was when we swam out with those long floats that you sort of strap over your shoulder and you swim out and it drags behind you. When you get close to a drowning person, don't get don't get too close to them. Get far enough away so you can just pass them the float and then let it go. And so you don't create a dependency on you. And and so they can then, you know, grab onto that bit of driftwood or that flosh and that that side of things, and they can pull themselves up and be be independent. And then from that space, you can you can say, hey, look, maybe instead of trying to swim to the beach, we swim against we across the rip. We don't yeah. try and swim. let's go across it and let's if you. I'm going to do this. This is the way I would do it, but it's up to you. It's up to you what you want to do. But I'd, I'd highly recommend that this might be a way of getting you back to the beach. And now you can learn how to swim properly. Yeah. I love that. My family's very involved in Surf Life Saving Club too here, and mm. I think it's um, it's such a brilliant thing for people to get involved with and you learn so much about yourself and others and how to save lives. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I think being in that it's a beautiful. The, the clubs are quite amazing, and but again, it's it's the last four years have been a really beautiful invitation to for us to look at where do we outsource things in life. You know, where are we outsourcing our intelligence to a box, on a, a TV, and and health officials? Um, where were we outsourcing our stability in life was i had no choice okay you had no choice great so you're uh, there you, there is this idea that you're you're outsourcing into into um and again there's no shame or guilt side of things what people chose during that time but if you're what was presented to all of us over the last few years is what are we is a beautiful bespoke um invitation to to have an initiation into greatness of who we are, or at least show us where we're stuck and where we're outsourcing ourselves. So if we're out that, and it's definitely not how I would have described it three years ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can see it now. Yeah, oh, look seriously, a lot of a lot of us went through, and and I, and I love your intro. You know, you you're a bit shaky a couple of times, and to be honest, and I was shaky at times. Yeah. Um, I had to when when the mandate came through within work. Um, I had to. Uh, there was no way I was going down that avenue for me. I, there was just no way. I, I and I had to come to terms with so many layers of provision. What is provision to me, and what do I hold bodily integrity higher or lower than this concept of provision? Um, this outsourcing of my my stability in life and so as i sat in the sweat lodge of that emotion of of that that um fear that percolation of what does it actually mean and if i could be okay with the worst case scenario which is losing everything um and i could get okay with that then i was free Mm. and so the, the virus was actually not it, the virus was fear and what it 
what it did was it gave you an invitation to look at how's your immune system towards fear. And it gave you a really good indication of like, well, actually, if you look at people who catch colds, and I'm using that in inverted comments, and they have cold after cold over, over, over a year, there's an invitation there to say, how's your immunity? What needs, you've got a health expression here. What needs to change? What needs to be released? What needs to be growing for you to come into the, and I love the, my definition of the word health is return to wholeness, to come into wholeness, the calibration. And so the invitation that we had over the last few years was brilliant. You couldn't have designed it any better. I mean, it was the biggest marketing campaign since Coca-Cola changed Santa Claus to red. And it, it was an incredible marketing campaign. And yeah. but what it did in its, in, its, in its dysfunction, there was a beautiful gift within it, which was you got to know yourself. Now, any choice you've made can be healed, can be returned to wholeness, yes. can be released. I have no doubt about that. But the the invitation was for you to be able to discover who you were. And so we heard relationships break down. We saw violence, domestic violence increase. We saw, we saw people having health expressions that they'd never had. We saw vamping up of, of various things of, that, that had been in a... In a um, remission state and and so we're seeing you know all these things going on we're seeing breakdown of of relationships and and but it also it also gave us the opportunity to be able to um five love language ourselves and go why am i like that ah okay now i can grow and so yeah so i think the last four years again that's pain and suffering. That's that's not a way to learn. It's a very dysfunctional way to learn. It's like putting a hot iron on a child's hand to teach something is is hot, which I, that's abuse, by the way. I'm just put that out there. <laughs> um, for those of us who went through the torment, that's a, that's an abusive way of learning. It's not how we learn. We learn through a better way. There's a there is a higher way to learn, mm-hmm. and that and the, the quickest way to that is is know thyself. Surrender. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I really love the reframe of the last four years and that invitation and that gift. And I think it's something that for those who, you know, didn't choose the pathway that you and I chose, there's going to be many other opportunities mm. um, yeah. coming this year and in the next few years as well. So, Mm. Yeah, it's really reflection is really important, I think, on what we've all been through because it's it's been harrowing, but there's there's definitely a gift within it. Oh, absolutely harrowing. But mm. but I would challenge anyone that if you look at the impact of what actually went on, you would actually you would find that that's an area in your life that you are not calibrated with your soul. If you're going through a torment, so all of us have, have uh, we're, we're gifted a beautiful gold detector, and that gold detector is is the irritation, the trigger, or whatever it might be inside us. So when you hear that beeping going off, instead of actually going, I'm not going to dig there. I'm I'm going to no, I don't want to listen. I don't want to see if it's gold. I don't want to see if it's gold. When you feel that that trigger, when you feel that that calamity, that trauma, or whatever it is, dig. That's that's where the gold is. Dig the way through is is in. Yeah, through our triggers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
through the triggers. Yeah, well, it's an invitation. People, you hear these beautiful uh, monks will say, uh, you know, you've got a young student. Well, how do you find enlightenment? And he's, you know, and you hear the monk say, "Well, see that cave up there? It's up in there." And it goes up in there, and then a the couple of days later, how do you find enlightenment? Oh, you see that river there? It's over there. And I, and the analogy behind that is that. How do we how do we step in? And, and enlightenment basically means you're just connecting in with your your innate self. It's, you don't have to be too religious about that. But but how do you start this sojourn? What's right? What's front and center at this point in time? If you did a list of all the things that you felt out, un, not calibrated with, find one. If you start on one, it'll have a knock on effect to all of them. Once you once you understand that. So if you're for you, if it's a health expression, start there. For you, if it's a relationship expression, if it's if it's a financial or provision expression, start there, start there, because once you actually learn, once you've experienced the mechanism of connection, then there is there is a. You've heard about the hundred monkeys theory, the, so the hundred monkeys was a was a study they actually did where they were trying to create change, and I think it was washing coconut or something like that, um, or probably bastardize it, but the the story's there and. And what they did was that they to try and influence these monkeys, they they brought a hundred monkeys, uh, they brought, I don't know, 10, 20 monkeys off the island to teach them how to wash these coconuts or this fruit before they eat it. And and so when they introduced them back into the area, nothing changed. But once they got to uh, when I say nothing changed, they'd have sort of little slight changes, little imitations going on. But once they got to the 10% of the population, the hundred monkey point. There was a tipping that actually went on, and I think that's what we find in ourselves is that is that there is a tipping point. It's a bit like you know, once you've swallowed the <laughs> the, the red pill, you can't look back. You, you yeah. can't. You know, it's uh, yeah. So you just you just. It, but there is that tipping point that we actually find. So yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think we're seeing that now in the collective. You know, we're getting to that hundred monkey point in yeah. time. I feel. Yeah. Mm. Oh, absolutely. But the, the big thing is, is the importance of sanctification, which is your journey in the the ability of letting go of outsourcing. Yes. Um, and having that connection. Yeah. That's so, what sovereignty and it's that's the definition of sovereignty is that connection with with who you are as a divine. Yeah, you know, I love that. Which is beautiful. It's not easy. You know, this isn't sunshine and and you know unicorns and all that sort of stuff, and it, it's it, there is a like like with birth, and we see with the beautiful analogy of birth, um, there is a real ask to surrender. Um, there is a real going beyond. My both my kids were born at home, and they're adults now, and and um, and it's gorgeous. So I seem to be. Uh, I've got a gorgeous chat next week with a with a. Uh, a birth trauma lady, for, actually from New Zealand as well, mm-hmm. and just a gorgeous sort of connection with these people, and and you see the importance of of holding that space for birth. And I think it, 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 there is a there is a radical um, connection that a mother has with a child when a birth space is held within that wisdom, and and then that utter surrender. I, I remember birth of my my daughter and. And their mother reached a point and she said, I can't do this. And then I watched her go into utter surrender. It wasn't a giving up. It was an utter surrender. And she went into almost a bliss, or not almost, she went into this bliss state. And that 
then there was this complete and utter surrender. And then within probably 20 minutes, Kelly, my daughter, was born. And the the incredible experience of seeing their mum birth Mm. um, and what she had to go, what she had to sort of surrender to, I think that's very powerful. It's very powerful what we're starting to see in that space. And I think that's what we've got to look at with ourselves is that there is a real, there, there is a real surrender and, and what you let, it's interesting. Um, and even um, Lindley and I had a chat, the very first podcast I did, and um, she was talking about her birth story and the relationship she had with fear. And, and then when you're in an environment that actually uses the language of fear, um, uh, if you know, if you, and this is what Lindley found that she really, really needed to connect into who she was, mm. and so the gift through that that experience of the traumatic birth was to be able to step into the wholeness of who she is, and then another birth, and then the healing that she's going, she's working with to to calibrate instead of a trauma, um, to now actually calibrate that to. Uh, you know, another birth for herself, which is the birth of who she is. So, mm, and in a sense, that's where we're at, isn't it? We're rebirthing ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So re- that return to wholeness. So, if we look at the mind, can be broken, the heart can be broken, but your soul can't. The soul is the expression of of the purity of things. So, if we look at vitality, for example, is uh, our, our natural state is vitality. If we come from the calibrated space so if we're tired and exhausted then what is causing us to be blocked what is what is sabotaging that within us that we aren't loving that we're not sitting with that we're not inviting to the i have this beautiful analogy that i use um where i sit on a log and i got this and there's different sort of representations of symbols of myself as a little child um even a dragon even a a wolf, uh, a beautiful medicine um, man. Um, and these are all sort of reflections of uh, facets of myself. And I sit on this log and there's a campfire in front and beyond that is the dark forest. And where I'm sitting at this fire and the fire is is brilliant and and I'm sitting there with with all facets of myself. That, and And then I look into the forest and I see the shadow. Um, I see something coming forward and instead of actually going go away and letting off the the, the horn for the for the bear uh, for the bear buddy alarm or whatever it is or spraying something they go away which is how we're, we're taught to work with our shadows it's to go come on come and sit with me with, with it by the fire and when whatever is seen and received and sat with without entertaining it you're not entertaining it. You're just being there and just let the fire do its work. And then what we see is that's alchemy. That's what alchemy is, is, is actually bringing that, the shadows into the light. And then the light is that philosopher's stone that converts it into gold. And then as we know that, and I had a beautiful friend of mine said, the chemical symbol for gold is AU. And so we look at how many words start authority, author, authentic, all these beautiful things that start with AU, whether that's by design or just a nice synchronicity there, I, I don't know. But but I think 
there's a lot of wisdom that sort of sits in that space of actually doing that. So yeah, that's one of the, the that's one of the things that I find myself doing if I'm really struggling um, with understanding that shadow is first of all bring it and, and what that does. Just that mere act of that finds that's how do we how do we work through chaos is find ease. How do we bring a wave into a particle form? Find ease, then connection. Mm. And and that's what we find. So I think this is where a lot of this, like the secret and all that sort of stuff worked. It was probably a bit of a bloody distraction. But realistically, it was if we took all the froth and bubble away from it, what it is is actually being able to sit with ease. And so you're conjuring ease through imagination. Um, but the reality is, is, is if we take the the story, or, or, or you know, I want this relationship and all that sort of stuff. It's actually you, you, you instead of misery begets misery and staying in that negative that negative mindset, you find a point of ease. And so we can operate from the frequency thing, which is about the the energy we work from, or we can work from the magnetic, which is from the the, the soul space. The magnetic's a more powerful way of working, um, more than frequency. Um, if you're working from frequency, you'll get a result. Um, you can feel the energy of people around you, but magnetic's quite a different one. Magnetic is a is fascinating to it's a, probably a different thing. I'm sort of moving into a little bit more. <laughs> I feel like we need to do a whole another podcast. <laughs> yeah, God, how long have we going? Oh, sorry. <laughs> there's so much. There's so much to hear from you. <laughs> um, well, let's wrap up this one and we'll okay. book in round two. <laughs> but um, aside from, I had one idea. Mm-hmm. As you were talking earlier, I think you need to write a Aussie slang version of the Bible for everyone because <laughs> <laughs> your descriptions are hilarious. <laughs> but aside yeah. from that, what do you feel is your unique and special role here on earth right now? There was a gorgeous podcast I did with Nathan Maingard that I launched. Um, that was the last one I launched. I think it was episode six. And Nathan does a lot of work with purpose, and I always used to look for what is my purpose. And Nathan says a really interesting thing. Purpose is not what you do, it's who you are. And that, I, I think I put that as one of the, the, the quote at the start of the blurb, and that that really sort of was a real sort of like, um, wow. Mm. I never thought of it from that perspective. And so I... I would love to be able to um, create a create uh, or or um, establish a space for people to be able to maybe jump on a bit of a raft for a period of time, but with a very clear understanding of this is this is a raft that will sink um, by its own design. Um, it can't, it'll get waterlogged eventually. So you need to make sure that you learn how to walk on water. And, and so I'm sort of working through what does it actually look like from a workshop perspective, from a teaching perspective. Um, I feel that's an expression. I love the ability to, to expand people's understanding of things. And so, yeah, it's, it's looking at, at, at how, did, how does that get expressed? And the initial one is the podcast. Um, which has been a beautiful way of me getting my language right um, and learning some 
some skills of listening more. Um, and so, yeah, so look, I, I, I would love us uh, yeah, to be able to sort of step into that space and and teach people some of the, the insights that I've got. I feel that I've, I've, I've had a very, I've, I've had, I, to this day, I've had a very full life, a lot of experiences, a lot of, um, you know, worked with the death of my mother, worked with relationships, worked with the medical model, worked with my own health, the journey, worked with the, just these experiences that has created, a, a, for me, a, a richness that I'm so getting more and more grateful for <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and seeing seeing the beauty that's that's within that. So, yeah, so I think that's probably... Um, I yeah. love that. So be who you are and and share share that with others. I think I think yeah. that is what you're here to do for sure. <laughs> well, just just live my bliss yeah. um, and not. I, I always don't. I don't want to be a fraud. Um, I don't want to be an actor memorized where I'm just regurgitating what. Uh, even though I quote other people, they're people that have sort of have been signposts that have really ex- yeah, invited a, a more intimate. Um, questioning of who i am um and so that's what i love about the gift of things like quotes and connecting in with with people that are actually uh, quite wise in what they're bringing forward but i think yeah just being able to have my own expression Mm. beautiful thank you so much Please tell everyone how to find your podcast. <laughs> yeah, look, it's on all the podcast channels. Uh, probably the first one is the Wellness Couch. Um, if you jump on the Wellness Couch, there's a lot of, they have some beautiful podcasts within that space as well. They also have an app, the Wellness Couch. But then we actually, um, any of the podcasts, Apple, Spotify, you name it, um, Nutritious Conversations, and um, you'll see this backdrop. And my mug. <laughs> I think we're in a singlet shirt, and oh, that that's a birthmark on my neck. So if anyone tunes in and goes, "Oh, he's got a hickey on his neck," <laughs> if you call it a hickey, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, so jump onto that. Um, look, I, I'd love to. I'm in the process of creating a, a website, um, and within that space, creating a. I don't know. You know, if people want to, if people want some signposts of how to get a more intimate understanding of who they are, then that's that's probably what I would love to create in that space. Mm. Yeah, awesome. I highly recommend going and listening to Duncan's podcast. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, and it's so beautiful to connect in with you. I I, um, I love what you're doing. I love who you are. And I love that we're bringing forward the expression of the the innate through the conversations we're having with gorgeous souls that have that light us up and um yeah i think we need more of that that's why these these formats been such an exciting format for for a lot of us i think a lot of us are tuning the podcast certainly over the last few years um to actually hear and see and the the expression of the divine Mm, through different different souls yeah i love that too and we're finding the others <laughs> i know it's so exciting. <laughs> all right thank you so much duncan i'm sure we'll talk again for sure much love this has been a production of the check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.